Father, it would seem that 10,000 years to you is just a week and a bit. Lord, that begins a time of praise unending throughout our life, that is, eternal life, unending forever, worshiping you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory that's due your name. We give you thanks that we can be here this morning We pray that our words, our songs, our prayers would all be sweet to you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be, please be seated. Happy Mother's Day and welcome back. Our, our building is alive uh, once more. In fact, this is the the mightiest audience that I've seen in at least two months. <laughs> so, For Better or Worse is a comic strip by Lynn Johnston uh, that for 29 years told us the lives of the Patterson family in Millborough. That's a fictitious suburb of Toronto, uh, Canada. So one day... Uh, Mother's Day, in fact, Michael's mother is tossing and turning in bed. She can't sleep. And she's saying, am I am I too tough or am I too lenient? Do I do I give in too much or too seldom? Do I listen to what he has to say or do I even understand him? Do I nag him too much? Am I a good parent? And the next frame shows Michael, a rowdy, rambunctious teenager, laying in bed saying, the problem with grown-ups is they think they know it all. (laughs) You know, the truth is, mothers recognize all too well the risks that wait for their children. Not merely the, the physical dangers and temptations, but also that the life choices that they make may prohibit them or constrain them from reaching their full potential. Sadly, in in our world today, by every measure, being a Christian mom is difficult at best. Our children are living in an increasingly anti-God, anti-moral, and anti-life culture. We're losing the culture war. We are. Our children leave the church. They go to college. Many, if not most, never darken the door of a church again. Too many cases. But having said that, it has always been difficult, hasn't it? I mean, as demanding as as our lives are, even in this time of of COVID-19 difficulties are not in any way unique to us. In every age, motherhood has had its share of problems. Today, I want us to look at the life of a woman named Jochebed. She was a mom who, under the most trying of circumstances, never gave up. 
She exercised uncommon faith, determination, and, and commitment. Now, some of you go, Yakahu? There's a J there. That's a German J. Thank you. Uh, German uh, it would be Jochebed. Uh, some of you have never heard of her. Some of you need a refresher. I know the name, but I don't recall that much about her. And some of you maybe even say, yes, finally, the woman that I've aspired to be like someone is talking about. Now, my familiarity with uh, Jochebed, Jochebed came to me somewhat indirectly. So for four years, Barbara and I, every uh, Easter Sunday, would meet on the slopes of Mount Nebo and watch the sun rise so that we could just enjoy this just beautiful time of celebration of the Lord's resurrection. So early in the morning, before all the factories are open, and if you've been to Israel, you know this, once the cement factories start uh, blowing out their dust, you can't see across the Jordan Valley at all. It's just this haze. They say it's from the heat. It's not. It's dust from the factories. But in the early morning, before they're all open and you look across there, you can clearly, clearly see the Dead Sea. You can clearly see Jericho. Off in the distance, you can clearly see Jerusalem. And one Sunday, only one, we were even able to see Bethlehem. The view could be absolutely breathtaking. And looking down the lush and green Jordan Valley, you could trace the path by the trees and the shrubs and the bushes and so forth, uh, the Jordan River as it ran down from Galilee. And it was pleasing to the eyes. Everything else is this kind of dirt brown. You look down there and it's green and it just is pleasing. You could reach out and you could touch it. And just to the east of where we would sit, there was an ancient spring and it was called Ain Musa. And that's Moses' spring. And you go, well, why would a spring named Moses be on the side of Mount Nebo? Uh, Moses, by the way, means drawn out. We're not going to talk about that much today, but that's an interesting name as well. But Deuteronomy 34 tells us why it's there or why the name is. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the exact place of his burial to this day. Moses. I mean, while Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, it was Moses to whom God gave the Ten Commandments. It was Moses to whom God gave the work of 
bringing and leading out his people from Egypt. It was Moses that the Lord through whom gave the plagues to Egypt. It was Moses to whom we're given the Torah, the Pentateuch. That is the the first five books of the Bible. Everything that we know about the patriarchs, we know because Moses wrote it down. Now, Pisgah, that's simply the Hebrew word for ridge. And yet there was a little peak over there that also carried the name. And it turns out that Nebo and Pisgah are in the exact same ridge. In fact, when you're actually there, it's really hard to tell them apart. And yet there was that. And there's a little valley that runs down between the two. And I believe that that is the valley where Moses is buried. That's also the valley where the spring is. And at least while we were there, there was a tree there at that spring. One of those trees that remind, remind you of the, uh, the tree of life. And everything else is barren around it, but you have this beautiful spring right there. Before we look at Moses buried, uh, we need to look at Moses born. So Moses was born during a time when the, the Pharaoh of Egypt was really had become terrified, literally. And all the people, the Egyptians, were terrified because the Hebrew nation had grown so large and so strong that they wanted to begin to keep them socially out of the direct connects with the power in the rule of Egypt. They were deeply concerned that they were going to actually take over. So they began to put them in slavery. Well, that didn't work either. And so what they did was they were going to begin then to kill the firstborn Hebrew males. Now, the first attempt we see in Exodus 2, 15 through 22, Pharaoh told Shifra and Pua, they were likely the heads of the midwives, when a uh, Hebrew male was born to kill it. Now, my guess is that this instruction was to go to all the midwives and they were to kill all these babies. And it was such that, you know, Pharaoh didn't want to cause a uh, too much social disruption. So it's an easy thing for the midwife simply to say, you know, the baby didn't make it. With evil upon evil, he commanded them. He commanded these women who had dedicated their lives to delivering babies to then kill those babies, to murder them. And my daughter, Michelle, our daughter, Michelle, is a doula. And that's this, you have midwife and then the doula who they assist the midwives. She's delivered scores, if, if not hundreds of, uh, of babies. And the thought of harm coming to one of those babies, even naturally, is devastating to her. That you would inflict that harm is simply unthinkable. And it was, it was to Shifra and Pua as well. And so they courageously and consciously said, we're not going to kill him. And thankfully, the Lord protected uh, them. And, uh, of course, they, you know, they gave the, the reason was, and I don't know how they directed the women to do this. It was perhaps, listen, don't call us until 
we can't get there until just after the baby's born or whatever. But the thing is, they didn't know if the baby was a male or female, so you wouldn't know. And anyway, they, uh, when Pharaoh said, how come the Hebrew males aren't being killed? They said, well, the Hebrew women are just vigorous and they have these babies before we can get there. And, uh, so anyway, they wanted to protect the children. And, uh, that's something that's true for us today. I mean, listen, uh, protecting a mother protecting her children is usually the motivator for most things in a uh, mother's mother's life. In fact, a mother will do big things out of this. A mother will get out of an abusive relationship. A mother will go into the workforce in order to provide. A mother will come out of the workforce in order to rear. Whatever the mother deems is necessary to protect that child, that's what the mother is going to do. And these midwives were protecting these babies, not their own, not their own children. I want you to look at verse 21 if you're there in Exodus 2. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Now, there are no accidents of the Scripture. Uh, The Holy Spirit placed here precisely what He wanted. God is a God of irony. And because the midwives feared Him, He gave them families. Now, apparently, uh, most midwives, that was the profession chosen by women who were barren. They spent their lives, instead of rearing their own children, uh, delivering the other children. And that apparently was a very important point to Moses. I mean, think these women got their names. We don't even know who Pharaoh is. That's a title, by the way. You know what Pharaoh means? Big house. <laughs> That's what it means, big house. It's like the White House, big house. That's what Pharaoh means. We don't even know who the guy is. But... Pharaoh wasn't done. And his second attempt was far more effective. Now it wasn't simply the midwives. Now he gave an order to all of Egypt to do this. He gave an order for neighbor to turn on neighbor. He gave an order that these children be thrown into the Nile and drowned. Now, it's at this point that Jacobed exercised raw physical, emotional courage, true courage, guided by faith in a desperate measure to keep her young son alive. Again, recall, nobody knew what the baby was going to be. It's not like today where you, you have these reveal parties, right? The baby's not even born. Back then, it was you knew what the baby was when the baby was delivered. So all of these women were absolutely terrified and filled with anxiety. What is going to be? And who knows? Have I been able to hide my pregnancy sufficiently? Have I been able to develop plans to hide this child if it's a boy? How are we going to handle all of this? And and when the... The child was a male. I mean, I'm telling you, in our country today, we we have no ability to feel the fear, the anxiety and the horror that these women faced as they were giving birth. 
yet they were moved to action. Reminded of the words, you know, because it was last week we celebrated the end of World War II. And by the way, there's going to be an old uh, aircraft flight that apparently is going to take about five or six minutes at each point for it to fly over. So it's worth watching. If you're not aware of it, look it up. It's going to go right over Missouri City. But I'm reward. Uh, reminded of the words of Major General Erskine, who at the dedication of the 3rd Marine Division Cemetery in Iwo Jima said, victory was never in doubt. Its cost was. What was in doubt in all our minds was whether there would be any of us left, us meaning the ones who did the work, to be here to dedicate the cemetery at the end. Earlier that year, Navy Admiral Chester Nimitz said, uncommon valor was a common virtue. Jochebed exercised uncommon valor, but more importantly, she exercised uncommon faith. You know, she knew she couldn't hide Moses for very long. She knew uh, that, that this was not going to last forever, so she came up with a plan. And she took the reeds from the very river where she would place Moses, and she made a basket, and she covered it with pitch and tar, and she put it in the reeds of the Nile, and she trusted God to protect him. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what Jochebed felt when her fingertips left control of that basket. Anything could happen. Now, there are lots of ways people interpret this. You know, did he float down the Nile? Did she stick him in the weeds hoping somebody would find him or whatever? You know what? It doesn't matter to me. I go golfing a lot out at River Point, and I go to one of those ponds, and every time I go, there's an alligator sitting there. The Nile was filled with crocodiles. The Nile had hippopotamus. You know, if you don't know anything about hippopotamus, they're, they're one of the most mean, madly insane creatures on the earth when it goes to killing humans. That's a fact. Look it up. You put, you put anything by the river and that whatever it is is in danger. And this poor baby was 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 there. And she couldn't even watch. Now, why couldn't she watch? I don't know. Was it for fear of getting caught? More likely, it was because she was in slavery and had to go to work. I don't know. Who knows? We don't know. But we do know this, that she placed Miriam, her daughter, Moses' sister, over to watch, to see what would become of the child. And it just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter was coming down to the Nile in order to bathe, perhaps most likely in order to actually get in the Nile for a royal as opposed to taking a bath drawn. This was probably some ceremonial uh, move. And if it was uh, Hatshepsut, we know who would have been around the right time, we know that this particular Pharaoh's daughter was barren. We know she had no child. Now, if that was the case, and it was her, 
in her desire for a child would have been strong. Regardless, she sees this basket caught in the reeds, and she sent one of her girls to get it. Exodus 2, 6 and 4 following fills us in. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, i.e. her mom. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to pay you to nurse your son. Now, she didn't know that. But what this woman would have gladly done for free, uh, she's now under the prote- you understand what this means. Moses is now under the protection of Pharaoh's household. Moses was now safe. In fact, like Joseph before him, Moses then grew up and became a member of the household of Pharaoh. While Exodus tells us the story, Hebrews 11 gives us more of the impact of Jochebed. And Amram, by the way, was her husband. We find that out later. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, most let me say something about that. They were terrified of the king's edict. Do you know what the Bible means when it says they weren't afraid? Do you know what that means? Do you think for one second they weren't terrified in their hearts? They were absolutely but it's the difference. You know what courage is? You know what courage is? It's being scared out of your mind, but doing the right thing anyway. These were not superhuman people. I'm not afraid of the Pharaoh. Are you kidding me? Of course they were. But it did not impact what they did by faith. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is Mother's Day. I I don't know. I can't help but think that she loved him. But he refused to be called his Pharaoh's daughter. Why? Because of all that that meant. In particular, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, the only thing that gave him the courage to do what he did was because he was looking to God and not at Pharaoh. Let's notice a few things in the few moments that we have left about her, about Jochebed. 
First, she understood Moses' physical appearance was from the Lord. Now, I know this requires some explanation here, but in Hebrews 11:23, we also saw this in Exodus. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. Now, who doesn't have a beautiful child? <laughs> she protected him as best she could because she sensed in him a larger purpose. Now, every parent believes they have a beautiful child as well. They should. But in this case, the Lord actually and ultimately led Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. Now, it's interesting here. I don't know what versions you're looking at. The Dewey Reams and some other versions that uses the word goodly. Darby translates it as fair. The NIV and the ESV as fine. And the King James Version uses the word proper. All of those carry the same thing. By the way, if you read Shakespeare and you read the word proper as it relates to a person, it means they were beautiful. Okay? doesn't mean that they were proper in the sense of the way we look at it. It means that they were very, very attractive. This is exactly the same word that God uses in Genesis when he says that he looks on creation and he said that it was... Good, beautiful to him. So apparently, though, there was something striking about Moses that his parents took as a divine foreshadow of things to come. They believed that God had designed him for a singular purpose. Now, I'm going to this is it's not a bunny trail, but it is absolutely fascinating. Research has shown consistently across the years that between 65 and 70% of the time when somebody's running for political office, the more attractive person wins. The taller person wins. Did you know that on average, cardinals are taller than bishops and bishops are taller than priests? <laughs> on average, sales managers are taller than salespersons. On average, con Congress... Persons are taller than average citizenry. Just stuff to be interested in. I mean, and we see this in the Bible. The Bible's chock full of this kind of stuff. First Samuel tells us that Saul was chosen. Why? Why was Saul chosen? Because he was tall and good looking. Wow. Hey, let's not give David a pass either. David was head and shoulders above everybody else. And so what we have, and the thing is, is height is that way. But it doesn't say anything about their characters. Judging people solely by their appearance is not okay. <sighs> but just because it's not okay doesn't mean that we don't do it. Do you realize that within 18 seconds of meeting someone, you have, based on their nonverbals and their physical appearance, you have made internal decisions about their integrity, about their competence, about their trustworthiness. It's true. It's, it's, it's what we do. And in a way, 
I really resisted that and I resisted talking about it today until I realized something. If Moses had not been that way, when they pulled that basket out of the weeds and Pharaoh's daughter looked at Moses, what she saw was whatever the equivalent of a Hebrew baby Gerber baby is. And his little cries weren't irritating. They, they made her feel compassion. And so here this, God used this to bring Moses out of the water. Now, is it unfair? Yeah. Yeah. Was it used by God? Oh, without a doubt. Contrast, contrast Moses' appearance with the appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not really told what he looks like, but we're given a hint in Isaiah 53 and verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, and he had no form or majesty that we would look at him and no beauty. A form of the same word that we should desire him. And what does this tell you for the believer? Rare beauty. Rare beauty is seen with the heart. It's seen with this. No other better way to say it. It's seen through spiritual eyes and not physical eyes. What happens to beauty under the ravages of age? What happens to beauty under accidents? What happens? What happens? It fades. It goes. But the kind of beauty that lasts is in the heart. Second, Jacobet understood that she needed what she needed to do in a hostile environment. She understood that she was in a hostile environment. Sometimes we say, oh, that's really not that bad today. You know, yeah, you got this and yeah, you got that. Well, when somebody's trying to kill your babies, you know, right? You don't have to, you don't, there is no, there is no equivocation, you know, and you know you have to ask. And it says they were not afraid of the king's command. In fact, she and her husband, they violated the law. Doubtless every mother tried to save their son. Uh, Jacobad and Amram had certainly seen, undoubtedly, their friends, uh, members of their families. They've seen the, the children cruelly snatched away and murdered by Pharaoh's men. I mean, it's unlikely that Hebrews would do this. They had spies everywhere. Certainly, obedience to God is something that he wants us to do. Obviously, Paul tells us in Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Titus, he says to Titus, be subject to the principalities and powers. And I love this last one because we think, oh, those are spiritual things. And then he says the magistrates. He's talking about, he's talking about your local political leaders. Peter said, submit yourselves in every ordinance. For the Lord's sake. However, we're to obey the laws of man unless they command us to violate the laws of God. Peter argued we ought to obey God rather than man. And there are many examples of this. Daniel did it. His three friends did it. Jesus did it. Peter did it. Paul did it. Jacob had taught Moses courage. Verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Parents, understand this. And this is what 
Moses got through Jochebed was more is caught than taught. He saw what she did. He emulated what she did and what Amram did. The teaching is secondary. When we put teaching as primary without the action, in other words, if we don't walk the talk, the children are going to walk the walk, not the talk. We have to do the right thing and not simply the expedient thing. Third, Jacobad, like, like Lois and Eunice, passed on the faith to Timothy. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Faith is now imparted from parents to child. It's God's mercy that allowed uh, Jacobed to develop a plan that would save Moses' life, but to allow her to become uh, his nurse and his teacher as well is simply pure grace. And it was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, listen to me, the stories we read in Genesis were given to Moses on the lap of Jacobed. She told him those stories. And under the guidance, truly, of the Holy Spirit, those stories were imparted to us in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing thing when you look at this. Jim, James Keller said this, every mother has the breathtaking privilege of sharing with, uh, with God in the creation of a new life. And she helps bring into existence the soul that will last for all eternity. Finally, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm going to go just a couple of minutes over, but let me tell you, let me take a second to tell you why. When I preach in front of a camera, I was going through 15 pages. When I preach in front of people, I go through 10 pages. I didn't know how many pages to do. <laughs> so, I got to get, I got it's a it's a process really but it'll only be a, it'll only be a couple of minutes so he Im, she embedded core values into Moses in Hebrews 11:25 choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin now remember in Egypt in the time of Moses the pyramids and many of you know this some of you may not the pyramids when they were uh, built and in Moses' time, they were covered with white limestone polished to the point of reflection. They weren't these rocky things that we see today. Not at all. When the sun beamed out across that thing, it blasted light all over the place. The power and the it was the most striking vision that anyone had ever seen. Moses was not enamored with sparkle and sunshine. He had the long view that had to do with justice and faith. He saw that those pleasures in Egypt were temporary, and so he chose to suffer with the people of God instead. He saw that the riches of Pharaoh's palace were nothing. Why, Why were they nothing? Because they were something. Which one of you is going to reject a million dollars? Not me. I'll take it. <laughs> it's because of this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than 
the treasures of Egypt and he was looking for the reward. Cecil B. DeMille gave us the movie The Ten Commandments. Starred the best and brightest in Hollywood at the time. Dr. Howard Hendricks, known to some of us simply as a prof, uh, shared the story to how he was invited to go during the filming to, to watch and, and to observe. And so he went and he watched this scene. It's only about a few seconds long, 15 seconds, if that. And that's when they're coming out on the other side of the Red Sea and a, a cart falls into a ditch and then they, they, they push it up. And, and Hendrix was uh, privileged to watch take number 65. And he distinctly remembers Cecil B. DeMille saying, no, that's not right. Do it again. He found out later that that 15 second clip took 87 takes. However, we, like Yaakovid, we only have one take. But because God was and is the director, he does all things well. Now, having said that, I'm aware that not all things worked out as most of the Hebrew women dreamed, desired, and hoped. Moses was the exception. He was not the rule. More died than lived. I'm certain more were hidden. But for how long? Do you think that Moses was the only one put in a basket to be given over to God? in hopes that something, anything, would happen. So I'm conscious that for some in our service today, Mother's Day may be uncomfortable, perhaps even painful. To you, Mother's Day may be a reminder of unfulfilled dreams or loss. May God grant you peace. And that peace comes to us by fixing our eye on eternity and what's important in life. What's important is this. What you may not know is the word for that basket that she made and put Moses in. It's the same word that was used for Noah's ark. It was covered with pitch. Do you know what the word cover means? Kippur, Yom Kippur, the day of covering the day of atonement you have to understand that this means salvation and the answer to everything that we deal with today is salvation and the only perfect parent whoever was god almighty himself calls to us although we have gone astray and he says believe in jesus christ my only begotten son And you shall be saved. He died for you on the cross of Calvary that you might have life and life everlasting. Turn your heart today to him. For the ark is your salvation. Father, we are deeply grateful for all the things that you have given to us. Salvation chief among them. We thank you for the life of Jacobad. We thank you for the courage she demonstrated. We thank you for the teaching she gave. We thank you for the values she 
imparted. We thank you for her. On this Mother's Day, we pray that you would give each one of us a sense of joy, peace, remembrance through Christ our Lord. Amen.